Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Hunter Belis on her inspiring children's biography of famous missionary, Amy Carmichael. She finally ended up in India, and that is where many of us uh, have connected with her story. Amy worked there with Indian women and children predominantly who were rescued from slavery in Hindu temples. Hunter Belis next. Through her blog, podcast, and writing, Hunter Belis directs the ministry known as Journey Women to come alongside women to encourage them to know, love, and serve God. She's also the author of children's books. Today, Kimberly Birchall talks with Hunter Belis about her new one about well-known missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, titled Amy Carmichael, the Brown-Eyed Girl Who Learned to Pray. Hunter, as we get started, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, how you got into blogging and podcasting and writing books. I am first and foremost the happy wife of my husband, Brooks, and we have four wonderful kiddos who I just have so much fun with throughout the day. And I really started, like you said, blogging way, way back when my husband was in the military and he went through a very intensive training called Ranger School. So I started a blog to keep my friends and family updated on his progress through that school. And then through that, was able to write for a few Christian publications. And then as I continued in my journey as a military spouse, I began to love podcasts, kind of at the inception of podcasts, you know, back in the day when you really only had like sermon audio on there. And there were a couple of uh, interview podcasts that talked about just, you know, lighthearted stuff. And I thought, what if we could marry the deeper kind of theological truths that I'm hearing in these sermons with a conversation and offer that to women. And so I began to do that in my very own closet per the encouragement of my husband who gifted me a Yeti mic for my birthday one year. And I hopped into the closet and started recording conversations with mentors and friends of mine about just everyday things and how the gospel kind of intersects with those things. And Journey Woman was born. So that's when I began recording podcasts and kind of publishing things on the internet more broadly and have been doing that for the last six years. And then that led itself to being able to write a couple of children's books. My most recent is on Amy Carmichael. So that's that's a little bit of the backstory. Okay. How did you choose Amy Carmichael to write about? You know, it is so funny. This goes even further back to when I was in college and I, the Lord had really given me a heart for the nations and I deeply desired to go to India, which is where, if you know who Amy Carmichael is, she was a missionary in southern India and I wanted to go to India and be a missionary myself. And so through that process, I came across the life and ministry of Amy Carmichael and she has just been such a dear person, Kimberly, that I have uh, really looked to as a mentor in my life, even though she passed away many years ago. And it's just really neat to see how the Lord used various twists and turns in her ministry, even to bring her to India. There's a whole untold story of her ministry where she went to Japan and then she was in what's now modern day Sri Lanka prior to even uh, arriving at this ministry that we all know her for in Southern India. And as you can probably imagine, because I'm recording this podcast and I've just told you a little bit about my history as a military spouse, I did not end up in India. 
And yet I feel such a connection to Amy's story because the Lord continued to move me and use me uh, where he desired to in all of these different unexpected places like the military and like the Journey Women podcast. And it came full circle for me when uh, with Journey Women, we started to track our analytics because we wanted to monetize. I wanted to welcome more people onto the Journey Women team. And when I looked at the map of where Journey Women has been downloaded all across the globe, would you believe me if I told you that India is one of the top countries where Journey Women is listening listened to today. And in fact, we've had many missionaries who have reached out to me from India telling me that they are using Journey Women in their missionary training resources and things like that. And it was such a full circle moment for me where I just said, Lord, I trust you uh, in the work that you've set before me, just like Amy did. So she and I have kind of a kindred heartedness that she doesn't know of, uh, but she's certainly been a blessing to me in the work that God set before me. How do you believe that children will be impacted? Because your book is a children's book. So how do you believe that children will be impacted by her story? Oh, yes. You know, I hope that children will just see that the same God that Amy prayed to, and she prayed so frequently, that's one of the most compelling things about her story is how the Lord set so many unexpected, difficult, challenging things before her. And, and what did she do? Well, she prayed and she asked God for help. She had a book called the Ask and Receive book in which she would record all of her prayer requests and God's answers. And that's actually how she was initially called to ministry. She was reading through her Ask and Receive book and she sensed the Lord impressing upon her heart the words of Jesus when he said, go ye in the Great Commission, and she felt called to overseas missions. And then as she continued to follow his lead, there were so many difficult, challenging things that were set before her. I mean, can you even imagine having to travel all the way across the globe to do uh, ministry all by yourself as a single woman without having a cell phone? I, I just, I can't even fathom it. And yet the Lord continued to answer her prayers in miraculous ways. And so I hope that children will see that the same God that Amy prayed to and that she asked all of these requests is the same God that they can petition and that they can ask for the various requests that they have in their life and ministry. And there's so many other things, but that's just one of the ways that I hope they're encouraged to continue to look to the Lord in all things as a result of reading Amy's story. Do we know much about Amy's childhood? Yeah, we do. We know she was actually filled with mischief. We know she loved to paint. We know that she loved to ride ponies. And uh, eventually she was set uh, sent away to boarding school, which is where she became a believer. And she was meditating on the hymn, Jesus Loves Me, that we all know and love. And I have since read all of the stanzas of Jesus Love Me and found it to be such a heartwarming and compelling song. And as she was thinking about the words from that hymn that her mother often sang to her, she realized that she needed to experience the mercy of the great shepherd. And so she then no longer wanted to rely on her parents' faith as she'd done in the past and instead placed her faith and trust in Christ. And then she began uh, just a series of challenges after that, that the Lord brought her home due to financial struggle and then her father passed away when she was a, a teenager. And so we do know a lot about her life. We know a lot about Amy's life. It's hard for me to even condense it down because there are so many stories that be, have been told about her. But yes, yeah, she came to know the Lord as a teenager. 
And I believe that would be the hope of every parent, that their child would not just rely on their parents' faith anymore, but that it becomes their own, that they begin to seek and ask those questions and find God there for them. Absolutely. Certainly for my kids. Yes. Can you give us just some more of the specific highlights from Amy's life and ministry? Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned, she became a believer as a teen. And then when Amy returns home, she really started to engage in ministry even before she went overseas. And I think that's compelling for all of us who are not overseas doing ministry, that there is work to be done wherever we are. And so she began some work with women who worked in local mills. They were called shawlies, and they were young women, and they were very poor. And she began gathering the shawlies together to talk about spiritual things and to just encourage them in her local church. And so many of them started to meet with her that the church building was full. And beyond that, the people who attended the church actually kind of frowned upon her, welcoming kind of the poorer people in society into their church, which is really sad. So even from the beginning, we see Amy reaching out to those who others considered unlovable. And and I really um, have been so encouraged by that aspect of her story. And this is where the Ask and Receive book comes into play again. She just began to boldly ask God, would you give us a meeting place? And the Lord blessed them with a meeting hall. And she sent out invitations that said, come one, come all to the meeting hall. And uh, the Shalys had their very own meeting space. And then, um, like I mentioned, she, as she was thumbing through that Ask and Receive book in 1982, the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, go ye, sounded in her head. And later that year, she made a formal commitment to spending her life sharing the good news of the gospel with others. May I just clarify that date for you? Was that 1982? 1882. So she was um, in ministry in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Thank you for that clarification. Um, and then she, she felt, you know, called to overseas missions and she left for Japan. And I don't think many people know this about her story, but she saw many, many people come to faith in Christ in Japan with a co-laborer that she had named Masaki San. And it was there that Amy began to be plagued by some type of physical ailment. We're not really exactly sure what it was, but it may have been something like neuralgia, like debilitating headaches. And so per a doctor's recommendation, she actually left for a rest. And then she, through a series of like bumps and turns and twists, all of these things, she finally ended up in India. And that is where many of us uh, have connected with her story. Amy worked there with Indian women and children predominantly who were rescued from slavery in Hindu temples. And it's just a fascinating story, Kimberly, how she ended up, I mean, really the first girl that she ever uh, rescued from temple slavery was named Prina. And it was kind of by accident. It was providential, as we know. And from then, the Lord just continued to bring more little girls to Amy. And she became a mother to many, many children, despite not having biological children of her own. They called her, I think it's pronounced Amai, a mother to many. So she eventually ended up establishing an entire village, really, for children, eventually boys as well, girls and boys who would study there they would receive medical care and they lived there and she had many of that many of them grew up to work there and that is where amy 
continued her ministry until her dying day. She never returned home. How did the people in India feel about her taking these children out of the temple servitude? Oh, certainly there was a whole host of opposition in many different ways. And that was, again, where prayer became such an integral part of Amy's ministry. And that really plagued her. Um, some of the challenges that that came across the ministry that the Lord had set before her. So that was one very challenging aspect of Amy's life was just the opposition that she faced in ministry in India specifically. I think I recall that parents would try to keep it from happening, and certainly the elders of the villages would would try to keep that from happening as well. But she was unscathed, I think, by all of their fear tactics. She didn't seem to be too frightened by that. Absolutely. She was certainly a woman of resolve, and we saw that in her determination to help the people that the Lord brought to her. We also saw that in her determination to hold fast to the Word of God. And there were other challenges that she faced. You know, um, at one point, the missionary agency that she was with was partnering with another agency that was no longer holding fast to the inerrancy of Scripture. And so she departed from that agency and just other really challenging things that I can't even imagine facing, particularly in that day and age where you just have such limited access to people around the globe and such limited access to information, Amy was certainly resolved to follow the Lord at all costs. Mm. That leads me to ask you on a personal level, what's the most compelling part of her story to you? Oh, you know, I think her resolve to exercise love in all of her relationships at the foundation that she established and uh, with the children whom the Lord had brought to her to mother, that was something that was really challenging to me as a mother. You know, every Monday she would have the children recite 1 Corinthians 13. And my kids and I have since committed that to memory and just thinking about what love is um, and how it compels us in our relationships um, and how the gospel really compels us to love as Christ loved us. That is something that I just cannot escape in the interactions that I have from day to day. When somebody bumps up against me in a way that is unloving, am I? how am I going to respond? And, uh, you know, if you've read Amy's endearing book called If, you know, she has all of these statements. And I wish I had one off the top of my head, but, you know, it's if this, that, or the other, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. And I really think that that was inspired by her commitment to knowing what love is and exercising it, specifically through 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so I've thought about that a lot since having, you know, sat with Amy through her many written works uh, and and asked myself the hard question of, am I going to respond in love? And she was such an encouragement and an example for me in that. How does knowing her story move you to want to share the gospel more? I think just in thinking about how am I doing that in a sacrificial way, like looking at Amy's life and seeing the very many sacrifices that she made in, again, going overseas as a single woman and then mothering not just four children like I do, but hundreds <laughs> <laughs> and doing that all for the sake of the gospel and making Christ known and embodying 
kind of incarnational ministry and being the very hands and feet of Jesus to these children, that has been such a challenge to me, especially when I feel a temptation just to be comfortable in uh, my ministry, quote unquote, uh, just to remember the many sacrifices that she made. And they really point to the sacrifice that Christ made and encourage me to you know, live as he lived, not to be served, um, but to serve. So that that's probably the most compelling thing that she's done for me in my, you know, Matthew 28 ministry. I'm speaking with Hunter Bielis, wife, mother, podcaster, and author of Amy Carmichael, The Brown-Eyed Girl Who Learned to Pray. Hunter, what does Amy's life teach you about God's sovereignty? You know, just in thinking about how the Lord... Uh, placed that calling on her life when she was, you know, a young believer to go ye, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And she walked in obedience to that call, not knowing where she was going to go. She literally did not know that she would end up in Southern India. And that is what we all know and love her for. And so I can only imagine the confusion that she must have felt when she was first in Japan. And she began experiencing these debilitating headaches that literally paralyzed her from ministry, thinking, Lord, what are you doing? You have placed this calling on my life. Why am I, you know, not able to walk in it to the degree that I desire? And they And, you know, along the way, him leading her to India and not even really knowing that her primary ministry was going to be with women and children who were rescued from temple slavery. She did not know that. She did not set out to do that specifically. And so I think in the various challenges that I face in ministry where I think this is not what I set out to do, (laughs) this is not even what I felt called to necessarily Um, But trusting that the Lord in his sovereign care for me and for his people is going to use me exactly where he's placed me and that he's placed me there with purpose. So Mm -hmm. Amy's story is such an encouragement to me in that. Mm -hmm. How can we encourage the children in our lives to trust in God's sovereignty? You know, there's this really endearing story that many people probably have heard about Amy praying with angst as a young child that God would change her brown eyes to be blue. (laughs) And she woke up and looked in the mirror and her prayer was not answered. And of course, she was crushed. But many years later, uh, the story continues that Amy as she was peering into the brown eyes of Indian women and sharing the good news of the gospel with them, came to this realization that God had answered her prayer exactly as he ought. And I think that's such a wonderful thing for us to encourage kiddos. Sometimes we don't understand God's sovereign provision in our lives, but it always has purpose, even if we don't understand it in the moment. And I hope that that little story will help encourage kiddos to trust the Lord with whatever he has set before them, um, knowing that his provision is always perfect. Why is it important for us to know and share the stories of Christians that have gone before us? Oh, it's so good. I mean, it's almost like an extension of like the hall of faith that we see in Hebrews. You know, it's like we get to testify to God's grace in the life of people in the past. And I think that bolsters our faith in 
the character of God and knowing how he will continue to be faithful to us in the present. So I love telling the stories of how God was faithful in times past, uh, because again, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so for us to be able to tell about who he was, you know, and to testify to that in the truth of the scriptures throughout redemptive history, and then to kind of fill in the gaps in church history for our kids, and then to begin identifying, well, look how he's been faithful to me. And look how he's been faithful to you. It just helps them to know and love God more and to cling to his character, regardless of whatever hard times they might be facing. Do you have a favorite book by Amy Carmichael? And what have you learned from that book and her writings? It's so hard to narrow down a favorite book by Amy Carmichael. She has so many wonderful books. And I do want to point out that another kind of turn that her ministry took was when she fell into a hole in what was being built as a medical dispensary. And she was really physically debilitated for the rest of her life. So she was bedridden. And for decades, she laid in her bed in India, probably wondering, why, God, why I have all of these children to care for, all of this work to be done, and yet here I am in my bed. But guess where she penned many of the books that we love to read? It was while she was bedridden in India. And so this, again, is just an encouragement to me. And I love reading her writing from that season of her life. She often talked about in her writings how a lot of the things that were written for people who were sick were written by people who were well. And so it's very compelling to read some of her poetry. She has a book called Mountain Breezes. She also has a book called A Rose from Briar. And if you are in a particularly hard season, I know it will minister to you reading from someone who, again, was bedridden, also going through a very difficult season, clinging to the truths about who God is. Um, and I love, I always love poetry. So those are some of my favorites. Your book is a part of a series of books. On, right. So tell me a little bit about that series, would you, and some of the other women who are featured. Absolutely. So it's part of a series called the Do Great Things for God series published by the Good Book Company. Um, and this is really a series that was the, the brainchild is a wonderful friend of mine. Her name is Laura Caputo Wickham. She is in the UK, but she's originally from Rome. And she wanted to write compelling stories for her daughter that would encourage them not to try and, you know, be so great in and of themselves, but to look to their great God uh, and to trust him and his faithfulness and his sovereign care for their lives. And so she began to pin the stories of faithful Christians, specifically when Women like she has Gladys Alward, she has Fanny Crosby, Betsy um, Stockton, Corey Ten Boom. Uh, you know, the most recent one that's coming out with me is written by K.A. Ellis. It's on Mariah Fearing. And these are just wonderful stories. I have to tell you, my six year old, her name is Davy Catherine. And she asks for a new book from the Do Great Things for God series uh, for every birthday. She said, Mom, this birthday, can we just complete the series? And so I'm doing my best to collect them all for Davy. And I'm happy to have been able to contribute Amy's story to the lineup. Are there other women in Christian history that you hope a book will be written about for children? There are so many. You know, I always love Lottie Moon. I myself was a GA for those of 
you who have listening who have also been like 80s 90s kids in church and i love lottie moon's story and i also have really just been so encouraged by elizabeth elliott so i think it'd be really fun for kids to get to read about their stories as well I've read Elizabeth Elliot's book on Amy Amy Carmichael. Carmichael. Yes. 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 It's a wonderful read. You know, for those who don't know Amy's story, it can be very detailed. But for those who do know Amy's story, it is so wonderful to get to know her in such a detailed way. So I hope that mothers who read Amy Carmichael, the brown eyed girl who learned to pray will be encouraged to pick up Elizabeth Elliot's book on Amy. And you can certainly see Amy's influence on Elizabeth's life as well. That was Hunter Bielas, author of the children's book, Amy Carmichael, The Brown-Eyed Girl Who Learned to Pray. Go to Hunter Bielas, that's B-E-L-E-S-S dot com. Influential Presbyterian pastors Tim Keller and Harry Reeder died within one day of each other last month. Our second guest today is Luke Engstrom, a 20-year-old student at Wheaton College, who reflects on the influence Harry Reeder had on his dad and family when he pastored Christ Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina. Luke's written the piece, A Gen Zer Honors Harry Reeder for the Gospel Coalition. Luke, tell us why you wrote this tribute to Pastor Harry Reeder. Sure, yeah. I, I wanted to uh, have a small small token of honor um, to, to this pastor who pastored Christ's Covenant um, for many years. My dad uh, originally came to Christ's Covenant in October of 93, and Harry had been there, Pastor Reed had been there since probably 83, and he mm-hmm. left in 99. So for a good six, seven years, he was able to disciple my dad. And I know that at a lot of people at Christ's Covenant, um, a lot of people in Briarwood have looked up to him for many years, and so I wanted to just write a small small token of my appreciation for him, uh, the ways he's impacted me via his preaching and via his podcast, via all the people he's discipled and in turn who have discipled me. So, Now, you say he's impacted you through his podcast. So you, you've, even though he was never your pastor especially, but you listened to him on his podcast. I did. Mm-hmm. So I never, I never personally knew him. Um, and in some ways that's, that was kind of, kind of the point in the sense that I never got the opportunity to to be discipled personally by him, um, but through his preaching, through his daily today and perspective podcast, where he talks about politics and approaches them from from a gospel centered perspective, um, I felt like I knew him, and I felt like I knew uh, who he was, his preaching, and his love for the Lord, his um, his gospel centered impact on my community and on the the community in Briarwood as well. Well, obviously, uh, your your dad talked about him quite a bit, too, and that he had, as you write, many gifts uh, that were expressed and uh, that communicated uh, the gospel and biblical teaching to those that attended the church. Can you talk about those gifts a little bit, those that you've uh, either heard yourself or that you, or that you were told by your dad that uh, he had? I'd say probably his biggest gift was just his love for for people and um, he he remembered virtually everyone who he who he came in contact with. There was there was really no one who was outside the reach of of Pastor Reader. Um, and then his preaching, he preached Sunday morning, Sunday evening. There was one story, um, a good friend of ours at Christ Covenant shared. There was a guest preacher at Christ Covenant a long time ago, and someone asked, "Oh, Harry, this must be nice. You can um, you're able to you're able to sit still for a Sunday morning. You're able to to not preach." And he said, "What are you talking about? Hey, I want to be up there. I want to be preaching." So, his kind of insatiable desire to uh, to to get to know people more um, uh, for for preaching, to, for for spreading the gospel to his to his neighbors, 
to his family, um, to the people in his congregation. I'd say those were, from my perspective, were some of the, some of his best gifts. Have you met him yourself? Yes, he he preached at Christ's Covenant a few years ago, but it was just a brief interaction. But you got to know at least some of his family. I think you you, you mentioned in your piece that uh, they uh, what is his son-in-law coached you in soccer. That's right. So we we uh, my dad is is good friends with his son-in-law. Um, I got to be coached by him in summer soccer camps, and so I know his his grandson a little bit. Who will be he'll be going off to um, to college to play soccer next year. So so his impact definitely. Um, definitely didn't stop with him. It continued through his through his son-in-law, through his um, his daughters, his sons, and it, and uh, and so on. What special memories uh, has your dad told you about Harry Reader? I mean, in other words, how has Harry Reader influenced your dad, and then I guess uh, by extension influenced you? Sure. One of one of Pastor Reader's uh, things that he focused on the most was leadership and gospel-centered leadership. So my dad, my dad got to. To go on one of his leadership training trips, he was very fond of of wars and the Civil War and, and of history, and uh, so he, he, my dad, reminisces on that trip where he got to to look at different battlefields, to interact with Reader, to to talk with him uh, about different spiritual matters, about di- different leadership um, roles and gifts and and things uh, that he might uh, be undertaking. You you write also that uh, you use the word fun. I, my dad and I, I joke sometimes just kind of the, his, his, uh, the way he carried himself, he was obviously very serious, very serious about the things of the Lord, but also he wasn't afraid to to have a little fun. My dad remembers one time they were, they were storming up a, up a, a battlefield and, and Harry Reader was leading the charge and all these, all these younger guys were, were following up behind him. And, uh, but Harry Reader was first to the top in this kind of civil war reenactment. Um, and he had different bunch of different kind of funny clips um, that uh, that everyone would chuckle at. Um, one time, he I think he was he he had transferred from East Carolina University to to Covenant College, and he was he was speaking to that story, and he was talking about he said, "Yeah, I, f- I finally figured out that my head was was could be used for something more than a golf visor and a baseball cap." So we're <laughs> we love golf and we love baseball. But my dad, my dad and I still think about that and go, he realized the value of Christian education. At the same time, he wasn't afraid to have these have these kind of funny quips, um, and in his preaching and his and how he talked to people and so on. You say something uh, kind of touching. We're right on the the verge of Father's Day here. You say that there's no way to tell your dad's story without reference to Harry Reader. That's right. I'd say my dad, in in his, kind of his years under uh, Harry's te- teaching and leadership and preaching, my dad tells me he grew in in his love for the church. I don't think he even. Kind of knew what a Sunday evening service was before Pastor Reader had had instituted that at Christ Covenant, and so he just he just grew in in morning and evening and throughout the week and discipling different people. My dad grew in his his love for the Lord, and seeing Pastor Reader's um, gifts and ability and his ability to talk to, to to random strangers about about the things of the Lord and uh, his ability to to love his neighbor, to love his family. I think my dad would say those um, just seeing Pastor Reader's example. And his uh, his example of of life and ministry was was very helpful in in my dad and him starting a family and him um, moving to Charlotte and learning from him. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guests, author Hunter Bielus, and just a moment ago, Wheaton College student Luke Ingstrom. You can read his piece, A Gen Zier Honors Harry Reader, at thegospelcoalition.org.
Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday for another edition of His People.